Welcome to the Access Effect podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Access Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment and your host for the Access Effect podcast. Super excited to be with Daphne Edward Zyman, president of Cinema and the founder of a few phenomenal charities, global charities that I want to talk about. Daphne, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to do it. Amazing. I am so overly excited to talk to you. I'm stumbling over my words. That's how excited I'm to talk to you. And I don't even know where to start. Yeah, I just, you are a phenomenal female leader. You, I want to talk about the work you're doing with Justice for Women, the Children United Nations, phenomenal. But I want to start with cinema. I mean, it's entertainment. I know Hollywood scene, you know, all the strikes and stuff, but seeing a female lead in the entertainment space is such a, it's, it's as I'm so proud to see women like you in these leadership positions. Well, it's really it amazing because, you know, when I went up against all the big ones, AT&T and Time Warner, at the DOJ in the Senate, it was about antitrust. And I was, and here they are saying that they represent the entire community, but in fact, it was six white men and me. And so I said, this doesn't reflect, and you can see it on YouTube, this does not reflect our population by any stretch of the imagination. And in order to demean the independent channels and especially a woman-run channel, they brought Mark Cuban against me uh, to talk about how important it is that they continue in the path that they are continuing. And Mark said, you know, after I spoke, he said, I actually agree with her. And that was a major statement for Mark, and I'll never forget him for that because, you know, he was supposed to be aligned with them. But the problem and the reason that I've been doing everything that I'm doing is because there was not one woman who was genuinely an owner and a head of a television network, a media company, the likes of cinema. And one of the reasons that we became the only high fashion network in the world is because I wanted to elevate the image of women. You know, we saw already from when we launched, which was September 17th, 2012, we saw already the sexualization of women. We saw already that sex trafficking was becoming the cancer of the world on the back of young girls, modern day slavery on the back of young girls. We saw already that the media world was becoming divisive, exploitive and sensationalized. And basically, women were being personified as either loudmouths or sex objects. And it's always about taking away the essence of what is a human being? What is a woman? Even now, when you ask somebody to define a woman, they get confused because they don't know anymore how to define a woman. So my thing is, how do you define humanity? And when you see a seven-year-old girl being sex trafficked and selling herself for a dollar in Kinshasa 
so she can get a cup of rice to feed herself and her family, you know that we are below the tipping point of humanity. So my whole purpose was to elevate the image of women and to give women the understanding that not only a woman ingratiates media, but women, in fact, are the strength because they are the nesters. They have the children, they bear children, and nowadays they're in business. And all the statistics will show you when you have three women on a board of directors, the company does better, the corporation does better. There's a reason for it. I have to tell you, I visited this um, amazing neuroscientist. And when I walked into his office, he had two paintings on his wall. Well, I thought it was paintings. One was black. It was beautiful, but it had little sparkles, a few stars, different colors, very sparse, very beautiful. Below it was the male sign. The other one had this incredible painting, lots of shooting stars and colors and everything on the same black background, and it had a female sign. And I said to him, why do you have that in the back of your desk? And he said, "That's those are not paintings. That's a cross-section of the DNA. Wow. We are capable of so many because as mothers, we have to throw so many balls in the air. We have to do so much. We are the nesters. We have to take care of our husbands, our children. We have to care, take care of our jobs. We have to do so much that my thing is, and it is a common denominator for everything I'm doing, is to literally stop violence against women and children. And that's, that's where I know you have Children's United, United Nations, and you have the Justice for Women, your two big charities that you founded and that you're running is really for women and children. It's not just them. for women, yeah. it's for children too. But the, the whole point of it is to be able to uplift the image through media, uplift the image of women, so we can be dignified, we can be respected. You know, I give speeches all over the world. And I have to tell you that I gave a speech for 10,000 women in Silicon Valley. And I opened my speech up by asking how many women in this audience have been promoted in the last year. Out of 10,000 women, a dozen women's hands rose. So I'm coming from the court, I mean, obviously being in a PR firm, a lot of our clients are in tech and entertainment and sports. And I deal with uh, you know, a lot of men and I deal with a lot of women. And I, what kills me is when women and girlfriends of mine, friends of mine, are, you know, aren't getting promoted or they're not getting certain jobs. And, you know, and I'm kind of, I agree with you supporting women, but I'm kind of like women can't also, they've got to stand up with the strength that they have on the inside. They can't just say, hey, because I'm a female in a male dominant industry or I got passed over because I'm a female. No, because agreed. But where does that begin, Sarah? Where does it begin? It doesn't, you are right. No one should get promoted because of their genre. No one. But, But a lot of women use that against other women. Those women need to understand that they are human beings first and a woman second. 
Well, if you want to compete with a panel of people, men, women, whoever, you've got to be smart, intuitive, be a leader. I can't sit there and say, because you're a woman, you should get that job when you're not qualified. But if you're qualified, you should have the confidence as a woman to stand up, to talk about it, not use it as a reason. You just said the key word, confidence. confidence. Now, how does a woman gain confidence? If we are not empowered, if you see that, you know, I've been in many board meetings, yeah. you know, my former husband and I launched two public companies. I've seen, you know, women come up with brilliant ideas and not be recognized, you know, because the perception is that you are a strength, but a substrength below a man in many, many cases. But I agree with you that women have to have the goods to deliver. But, and but, I, but, but, I, but, but women do, it's just that they, they don't have that confidence. So they just blame it because they're a yeah. female. And I feel like it's very, like very strong, amazing men. I know as CEOs have so much respect for, but I know women that have the same exact strength of being a CEO, but you know, you're not just being a bitch. You're not, you just, you, it just, it's such a weird balance where if you have, if you're smart, intuitive and the confidence to walk in command, respect in a room full of men, own it, be proud of it. Don't shy away from it. And a few, I've had these conversations with a few of my friends before CEOs. And I, I really want your opinion on this. The most, from what I've seen, most reason why most women do not get ahead or they're not getting promoted or they put down isn't because of men, Daphne. It's other women I have seen who, from because they're insecure, they're afraid, they're jealous, they are putting other women down, keeping them down to make them look good. That is where I have an argument on supporting women. I'm going to support and go above and beyond female executives. If I see women, power positions that are smart, that are commanding attention, that are leaders. I'm going to migrate because I want to learn and be better because I'm in awe of how they are. But I cannot handle seeing women in the entertainment space put other women down because they're afraid to lose their job or because they're young or better looking. And there's so many conversations we've been having on panels. And as one of my former clients, top engineer at Intel, her name is Anashi. She is phenomenally beautiful, well-spoken, articulate, so smart, from part Indian, part British, top engineer. And she was very clear on a panel recently. I'm sitting at this table because I earned the right and the confidence and I deserve to be at a table with male engineers, not because I'm female, not because I'm Indian, just because I earned the right because I'm smart, I'm intuitive. And I love listening to her speak because her big thing is support other women. Don't put them down. That's why a lot of women feel like, well, I'm not getting above. And I've seen other women put other women down. I've seen other women in big positions attack me or my staff because we're younger or better looking or more fashionable and they're insecure or they, you know, they just wish they were us. But they should support us because we're only there to learn and grow, to influence, inspire, motivate them and be there. And I I see more women putting women down than men holding women down lately. And I cannot figure out why that has gone so skewed. Because it's very competitive, because there are very few spaces for women to emerge. But also women, listen, 
There are other reasons why all of a sudden the corporate world is refraining from hiring women assistants. They hire men, especially in the entertainment industry, because of false lawsuits yeah. of sexual harassment. And so there is a caution now as well. So there's less opportunities for women in many jobs. But what I want to talk about is what, what has brought us here and what do we need to do to emerge out of this and to come into a place where there is opportunity because we need to change the face of what we're looking at across the world. So what are the real problems? Let's just face facts. The real problem is sex trafficking is the number one criminal industry in the world now. You know, the cartels have dropped drug delivering or drug transactions for sex trafficking because there's more money in it. In in uh, Iran, for instance, they have a law that's called temporary marriages, which mean a man can marry you for an hour, have sex with you and dump you. And that's allowed. And I read that's just to see. So, so when I was just up in Peru in the Amazon, one of the things we're up there on these the, it's just, it's horrible how they live. But these girls grow up thinking that's the way it is is okay. And the, such a large sex trafficking for drugs in these villages are so far up in the Amazon, and sex trafficking is such a big deal up there. And it's just it's it is heartbreaking because I see a lot of people trying to stop that. They're trying to get involved. They're trying to help. But I see a lot of men helping these girls and women because they don't they know that's not right. It's illegal. But I'm not seeing more women leadership. And my big thing is I want to see more women leadership. There's no question. And we need in order to be a leader. The one thing as a as a woman, the one thing that I believe is the most important is to learn to empower. Yeah, I think to empower means listening, whether to a man or a woman, listening and learning empowering, making somebody else feel that they have something to say or they are valued is a very quick way for women to really emerge because you learn so much more by empowering than just sitting back and not doing it. So the key for me is to how do we do certain things in in this particular world? Number one, in, in terms of sex trafficking, we have to stop the demand. That's why Justice for Women International have partnered up with the Hip Hop Alliance. Because when I was in Africa, amongst all these girls that were being trafficked and sex workers, on the boom boxes of the men that were actually having sex with these seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds, they were playing hip hop music. So I approached the Hip Hop Alliance and said, we need to stop lyrical violence against women and children. And they agreed. And then we are now partners it, because there's one big issue. We must eliminate the demand and the demand is men. We have to face it. Yeah. What is the other problem? You see in Africa, because of starvation and extreme poverty, you see families selling their girls their little girls, because they, they need to eat, they need to survive. So we must find a way to eliminate extreme poverty. 
We must stop food insecurity. Those are the major issues. Now, in terms of women competing against women, you're right. It is really a great shame because in a moment that we need to uplift women, why would women go against women? Why do we have men club, boys club, but we don't have women's clubs, girls clubs? You know, we, we are the largest share of our population, but we're treated like a minority. And in that minority, there's competition to surface and women do find ways to intimidate or find ways to eliminate the competition of other women. And that's wrong too. But the big issue, the big issue is what do we do about the real facts on the ground? How do we stop families from having to sell their girls? Well, I think yeah. we stop the demand. It, I think the inequalities globally and here domestically in the U.S. are so separate. And here we see, yeah, we see more women putting women down as catty bullshit. They're not really supporting women, empowering them to grow and be better. Confidence levels. I know in the Amazon, to your point with South Africa, they do sell their kids. It's like, do I sell my daughter for a bunch of money so we can eat and live or do we starve in the jungles? And I feel like it's, it's got to start and stop somewhere, but we don't like, and I agree with you. The root is these people in these impoverished countries are starving. But it's not in countries. We are the number one sex trafficking city in the world. Los Angeles. LA is really. And America is the number one sex trafficking country. You go down to Figueroa Street any Friday and you see hundreds and hundreds of juvenile girls being picked up by BMWs and Mercedes while the pimps are standing in the doorway. This is not a foreign problem. This is a global problem. New York is also the same way. Yeah. So what I'm telling you is we're living in modern day slavery on the back of young girls. It's the problem of competition is minute in comparison. And what we need to do is, number one, the reason that I have cinema and why cinema is important to me is because cinema is about uplifting women teaching people without preaching how to respect because every man has a mother or a sister or a grandmother. And they need to understand that every man is some daughter's father. Let's talk about cinema. You've been the president and co-chair of this for over 11 years now. And cinema focuses mainly on couture. It's mainly a lifestyle channel, correct? No, not quite. It's the only high fashion network in the world. Okay. We also have documentaries about different issues that ail humanity. We have vintage to modern movies, but every movie we choose has to, number one, have great production value, great stories, great acting, whatever it is, but it has to have an issue. And it has to deal with our social phenomena from different eras so that we, while we are being entertained and while we entertain, we want to also make sure that we add something to the culture. And that's, that's what's missing in our culture today. That's why we are now in the process of merging with a major satellite company. 
we're going to be available all over the world. And I want to democratize media. I want to stop the divisiveness. I want to stop the exploitation and the sensationalism. I want to focus on true heroes, everyday heroes, because that person that saves either, either one person or a tribe or does something about the environment or whatever it is against all odds, that's a modern day hero. The hero that, that is being projected now on the screen that is a shoot them up hero, come on. It's yesterday's newspaper. We can't continue in this direction because it's influencing our kids to think that shoot them up is the only entertainment value. And all the games are shoot them up. Yeah. And, you know, it really impacts the brain. That's why cinema is so crucially important. And that's why we were the first ones to create a metaverse and we're launching it. And the metaverse is a, is a replica of our world where you can go in and it's it doesn't matter who you are. It's, it's one for all and all for one. It's beyond any borders or cultures or pigmentation. It's a place that everybody belongs to either be entertained. There's a spiritual dome where you can listen to any religious spiritual leader. There's movies, there's Broadway. That's the whole thing. And the biggest thing that I focused on is cultural tourism. So we have all the museums in the world so people can learn because Museums not only teach you about art, not only satisfy you, but they teach you about history, our history. This is a mirror to our culture and its growth. And that's what's missing in other media. That's why the, our media company is so much inside my soul. Well, let me ask you a question. You, you've just done such amazing stuff. You also, you're the author of The Gray Zone. Yeah. You're the author, this is your book. What motivated you to write that book? I wanted to alert people. You know, the thing that really struck me at that time was when I realized that almost 100,000 girls were being shipped to the Super Bowl for the weekend, and most of them were foster girls. I realized then that I can talk about it and preach about it, and it doesn't change. But when you write a novel and you put it in in a way that people can go on the journey, then people get influenced. And the fact this book was actually published by Greenleaves, which is a very small publisher, but it got on the New York Times bestsellers list. And I won best new novelist in the country. And that showed me the great deal of interest that the public has when you give them a journey. Like the movie right now, Sound of Freedom, which I helped raise funds for, you know, that movie is, is creating a shakeup because not one studio, no one wanted this movie. And look, it's making more money than all the other movies. Why? Because the human element is something people want to understand and go on that journey. And they don't want any more of this other movies that really are just sensationalizing and deal with an excerpt into your nervous system. You know, we have to be more conscientious. You and I are the gatekeepers for the future of our children. 
that is a responsibility, a fiduciary responsibility. And we have to take it seriously. Yeah, I love that um, Hillary Swank also was trying to get everybody supporting cinema on one of your, I don't know if it's a documentary called Woman or if it was uh, one of your feature films, but I love that you publicly got up there. Yeah, because Hillary happens to be one of those incredible people. Hillary is the most real person you'd ever want to meet. She, yes, she's a movie star, but look at the choices she's made. Yeah. Look at the issues that she gets involved in in movies. You know, Hillary understands the plight of humanity and particularly for women. And she loved the fact that we went all over the world and interviewed 5,000 women who were violated and li- and not one of them was a movie star or a celebrity. They were real people and their stories. And we were able to put this movie together because we wanted other people to relate, to not be afraid to break the silence, but not be afraid to stand up and say, I need help. I just love that we see certain women of influence and they're using their leadership for good. And that's a big issue for me. So when you see people up there who do have that power of influence, who do, who are respective leaders, corporations, whether it's within the industry, and they're using their leadership for good. And I feel like a lot of women are not using their leadership for good in the right way to support other women, support these initiatives, everything you've been working on. I do think we do need to see more of that. So I agree with you 100%. But like you, your whole entire, like being an activist, all of your push, all of your passion and heart that goes into protecting women, being a good leader, a female leader, helping these women, these kids and everything you do. Was there a specific time prior in your career that you weren't moving in that passion direction that made you all of a sudden realize, hey, I need to help other women. Like where was that pivotal point in your life where you realized? Oh my God, you are brilliant. That is the best question that anyone has ever asked me. No one has ever asked me that question. And I've done a thousand interviews. Let me tell you, there is absolute truth to that. I lived on the other side. I lived in a world where I wrote checks as donations until one day I wanted to see where my money was going. And I went to this homeless mission, uh, which was the Sunlight Mission on 14th Street in Santa Monica. And when Pastor Kenny took me through the church and then upstairs, he took me to a place where there were little cubicles, literally the size of my closet. And in those cubicles, there were cots like hospital cots. There were three of them one in the back and two on the side, and they were covered by sheets. When he unveiled what's behind the sheet, there were were children and battered women. And as I kept walking, I realized that what I was seeing was right here in America, and it was horrific. And then I heard my manager walking behind me, and saying, there but for the grace of God, go us. Elaine Rich, she said that. And we walked downstairs, and in the midst of this kitchen that served food to the homeless, there was stench and oil and everything. There was a little girl sleeping on the bench. She was five years old. 
I couldn't tell what color she was because she was caked. Her hair was dreadlocked. And when I passed by, she jumped and grabbed my hand. I've never let go of that hand. And I adopted her. And that taught me and took me into the reality that my life was not really a life of contribution, that my life was skating on the surface of life. And that that's the moment that I realized that my visit to that homeless mission was me beginning to walk with my destiny. This little girl, so you did, you're not just like out there as one of those people saying, I'm donating, I'm creating to save lives. You literally, a little girl grabbed her hand, you adopted her and saved her life to get her out of a situation to a better chance of confidence, of opportunities, of safety. Like literally, you're like, did exactly what you've been talking about. Yeah, and that was the beginning for me because I didn't, I didn't know, I just didn't know, I was blinded. And I was blinded like most people. Well, I think, and I think it's how we're brought up here because like when I, you know, the reason why I created this new nonprofit, Global Healthcare, is because I was in Peru a few times and I saw these villages were selling their kids off for money to for sex slaves, drug lords and stuff. I saw how the people up in the Andes and the Amazon in the lowlands of Peru were just suffering and they would go forgo their health to go get food. They would forgo gain stitches, gain a doctor's appointment, women who are pregnant, wellness for their kids, health, because food was important, diapers. And so I feel like things that we do in our lives were somewhere along the path, something hits us, we do something, we see something that we realize this is what the world is. It's not our lives back here in LA. Because when I came back a few times from this trip, I'm like, God, we are such assholes. We're so ungrateful. We take so much for granted. And these people are suffering. And like my big thing, which is personal for me, was these people were suffering and dying because they didn't have health care. They couldn't afford it or they weren't educated. It wasn't important to them. So if we have cancer treatments and doctors here, but when a parent gets cancer down there, they can't afford the treatments. That's a death sentence for the children to grow up without parents in the streets where the girls get raped, sold for drugs, the boys go into, you know, to the army or, or guns. I mean, gangs, gangs and stuff. I mean, it is, it, it always starts at home, top, bottom. So when I created this nonprofit, it was set up as a universal health care for people in like South Africa, Peru, and in these underdeveloped countries who don't have health care, who are selling their kids, they don't have the money to, to survive. And health care is what's destroying them and their legacies. So we create a universal health care using different kinds of currencies and the government assists in those countries to give them a chance to say, hey, if I'm going to go, if I need, if I have a huge open wound or I know I'm getting super sick, I'm going to avoid my health because I got to go put food on the table or get diapers for the kids. I don't need stitches. I need this. This gives them a chance to stay healthy, live longer, get the help they need. So they're not having to be forced to make a decision to live or to die just to make, make sure their kids have food. And I feel like that aha moment to me was when I went down there and there was a little girl up in Cusco when I was there named Mandy. And I didn't know Spanish or the Quechuan. She didn't know English. There was something about this little girl I was so in love with. I hung out with her, held hands. We didn't, we just connected, but we really weren't even talking to each other because we were just chatting to try to teach each other. 
what our language was. She was like eight or nine. And then when I saw around me what was going on, it made me realize what I think is charity. When I come back here, what I take for granted, granted I have health insurance, granted I still have to you know, deal with all of that. I realized the help and how bad things were, which is when I created this universal healthcare nonprofit like three months ago. So, I mean, I mean, I, I didn't adopt a little girl. This little girl was amazing. She had parents, so I probably would have. But I get when you have a lifestyle you're so accustomed to, you're immune to what else is out there in the world. And being in PR, the sensationalism, all the bullshit in media that conforms people's perception, good, better, and different. I am in PR, but I also agree that the sensationalism, the, your perception is your reality by what you see, hear, and read. And there are times when we are so sheltered in the U.S. thinking this is having a bad day means working at a barista or working at a gas station. They don't. We don't really understand what hardship is until we open our eyes and we actually see or experience it for the first time. And it's hard to see anybody not be exposed to that, see that, not be moved enough to help out and then use your leadership for good. You know, not just to get into a bar or a club or tickets to the Super Bowl, but use it on the relationships to help others. And I know it was out of my beaten path being in PR, but this healthcare nonprofit to me is absorbing everything because I'm helping other people. And I know I'm not helping the world and I get that, but if I could help people little it doesn't time, matter if you save one person you've saved the entire world yeah and so i'm using my relationships as a ceo and everything to help but i i, I love lately like, like you had a very pivotal moment in your life when you realized this is where my future necessity that was a necessity and i didn't realize at the time how big of a necessity it was because this is what kept me alive. I mean, knowing that I can go against all odds and achieve a better life for some some kids or some people that otherwise would die or would have a horrible life, that makes me feel like I'm a human being with value. Yeah. Was this little girl an orphan? She was battered. Did she not have parents? Or was it an easy transition for you? I, I really don't want to talk about that. Okay. Because I don't want to yeah, say negative but, and because it is her life, not okay, mine. Let me rephrase a question. I apologize. Have you really, I'm assuming, you've really instilled the, the empowerment to a little girl, having, you know, given that you adopted her? I have to tell you a funny story about that that tells, answers your question. You know, I was talking to somebody who I truly admire as a therapist. She's amazing one of the best uh, people in terms of trauma and all this stuff that we deal with with these girls and I was saying to her oh my daughter disagrees with me she's mad at me she said see what a good job you did because if she didn't that means I didn't do a good job and she was still afraid but she's not afraid to stand up to me which means you did a good job to be okay. So let me ask you a question before we run out of time. Who is, or one or two, who was the biggest influences, female leaders that were influences in your life to get you from where you were inspired, motivated you to where you are now? You know, Hillary Clinton was, is being a friend when, and Karen Bass, 
he's our mayor here. But Hillary, when I started this whole effort, I learned so much. She's probably one of the smartest people in the world. And she has such such depth to her and such genuine concern about what's happening to our next generation and to the world that I learned from her to look at things through a different lens, not the lens that everybody is seeing on the news, but the lens of what it tells our humanity up. And that was the most valuable lesson I've ever learned. But I also had an amazing mom who believed in my independence. She supported my independence. She wanted me to be the person that I'd want to be, although she fought me when I was a teenager doing crazy things. But overall, she really wanted me to emerge as the person who I am. But I'm only appreciating that now. But I think that there have been women in my life, and this woman I mentioned before, Elaine Rich, she actually happened to be also Friend Resha's manager and, you know, other actors. And she she had this incredible New York broad wisdom that, you know, was so down to the point with no no BS at all. And interestingly enough, I had dinner last night with Dionne Warwick. She's a friend. And she says it like it is. And, you know, she's recreated her life many times like a cat because she's not playing any game. At each particular moment of her life, she tells it like it is. She sees it and she wants to do something about it. You know, those women have had so much influence on me. But I think the biggest influence on anybody is your children. And my two daughters have taught me about how to grow within myself into being a better and better person. I love being their mom. And that taught me that their lives became more important than mine. Uh, That's absolutely amazing. I absolutely love talking to you. And I hate that we are wrapping up time here. Tell me about real quickly, Cinema, where can people actually Get it. I mean, it's on the network. Is it streaming? We want to make sure people understand yeah, it, that influence. Yeah, it's cable. Oh, yeah, they can go on the app or they can go on cinema.tv and that'll tell them everything. But we're actually moving now into satellites and we're going to be all over the world. And I'm trying to democratize television. So there are many other content entities that are joining us. And my whole idea is to democratize media by offering to it to people for $2.99 instead of this, you know, so much money, hundreds of dollars all the time, because I think it's wrong. It's not, it's mining in the pocket of our viewers and of our population. So we are going to now start moving and we are also moving into local television. So cinema will be available on the normal stations because the stuff that's on local stations is not good. And I want to elevate it. I want to bring it to the homes of those that can't afford cable. 
my whole thing is conscientious media. I want to find entertaining content that also delivers something more into our population. I don't want to do the usual things anymore. I don't want anything sensationalized. We don't do it on cinema now anyway. And now, because of the strike too, so many content producers are joining me. And when we launch on the satellite, we'll be able to give bandwidth to other companies that want to focus on the responsibility of media that matters. Yeah, I just feel like the whole thing with cinema is that you want to have access and bring access to people who need that inspiration and motivation to be better in life every day. And and alleviate the downtrend of women sexualizing their bodies. You know, we talked about sex trafficking, women deforming their bodies because they think the only way to succeed is to appeal to a man's below the belt is not the way to ingratiate your own being. It's not a way to build self-pride. And so I want to take it to the local stations because I want to build the confidence in women. You're great. You are beautiful. You have so much to give. That's what I want to do. And that's what we're doing. We're merging as we speak with this major global satellite company And we are also beginning to figure out exactly, and they're going to distribute us on all the local stations and everywhere in the world. And I want only to deliver content that elevates your spirit. Yeah, you want to bring light to the fact deep down to where when you lose that sense of self-worth, self-confidence, that you're so much to offer besides going into getting plastic surgery or looking a certain way. And I feel like bombarded it's, it's, it's by education. Yeah. Being bombarded by negatives. Well, it's also where social media comes into play. The Instagram, all the stuff of you have to look a certain way, be a certain yes. way. It's not focused yes. on how smart you are, your personality. There's so much there that we just buried so deep down from relationships, from, you know, and, and it's harder in LA because everybody's supposed to be pretty and size zeros and guys just want a certain type. And I feel like just the education of your self-worth and being has to start from within. So I feel like I love that with cinema and what you're doing is starting where it needs to from the inside but out. We also need, we need to educate men. Yeah, We really do. I mean, not only are men the demand, but we have to stop men from being judge and jury. We have to stop men by thinking that they are giving up something by building families and committing to a woman. This whole non-committal or you're not good enough is hurting women's confidence permanently. It's traumatizing. It makes rejection is a trauma. And we need to teach men that kindness is much more elevating for themselves. Oh my God, Daphne, I could talk to you for hours. Where is a good place for everybody to um, find you? I know you have the charities cinema. How can people reach you directly? Is it your LinkedIn or what's a good place? You know, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm also on, I have my Instagram page under Daphne Zyman. You know, I mean, people can reach me. So good having you on. We have so much more to chat about, but until we can catch up. I want to chat with you about what you're doing 
And I want to see how we can get together because I love the fact that you care about healthcare. Let me tell you, it's so necessary right now because of sex trafficking. We are now having again an epidemic or pandemic of AIDS and gonorrhea, and it's really destroying young girls. So I would love to talk to you and see how I can help you get connected. And I, I feel like there's so much we do need to chat about offline. So I am super excited to connect and spend more time with you. And I'm going to keep you on. Daphne, it was so amazing to have you on this show. This is Sarah Mill with Access Entertainment with Daphne Zeman. And we'll see everybody next week. Uh-huh, Daphne Edward Zyman. 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 There you go. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Access Effect podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Axis Effect podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit theaxiseffect.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.